Hello and welcome back to Podcast Extra with myself and the wonderful Tim Cameron Kitchen. How are we doing today, Tim? I'm doing very well, thanks, Jess. Hello, everyone. Let us know where you're tuning in from. Yes, do let us know, indeed. We like hearing where you're from, what you're up to, what kind of business you're doing marketing for, all that good stuff. Today, we have some quite interesting topics, I think. Of course, we're going to start off by talking about Twitter because that just seems to be the topic of the week every week but we have some pretty fun topics to talk about as well including some interesting things about subscription services for business as well as some changes to ai so we'll jump straight in with the the excised elephant in the room the twitter rebrand that seems to be taking place we don't really know they haven't changed the whole branding and they're still referring to it as twitter but they've added a new logo and changed it to X, and it just seems like an absolute mess. Tim, what are your thoughts? I mean, this is totally not how rebrand is normally done, right? We often get called in to help clients rebrand, and it'll be an extensive design and research process. We'll be looking at competitors. We'll be, you know, positioning people on graphs about where you sit, sort of price versus offering and USPs and all of this type of stuff. And then out of that process comes a rebrand and that rebrand has usually been discussed with potential customers and all this stuff. And this is totally, obviously not that. See, I think I even saw one tweet where it looks like some Twitter user had actually sort of suggested the X logo and then, you know, that's what had ended yes. up being used. Um, it's very Elon, isn't it? Similar to what we saw with the staffing cuts with some of the features. This is very impulsive and it seems to be one person's whim. Just let's rebrand the entire company and, uh, and and yes, let's just go with it. I mean, I've got thoughts on rebranding more generally, but what's your take on the sort of chaos that has ensued here, Jess? I know you're not uh, you're not the biggest fan of Elon at times. No, but I'm I'm sort of I know it sounds bad, but I'm quite fascinated by the journey that Twitter's gone through. I actually quite enjoy watching the changes and kind of seeing kind of analyzing it from a marketing point of view right especially in terms of this branding and I think what people forget is that Twitter is so embedded in society that people when they've joined threads have said here's my first tweet you know they're saying tweet they associate that with sending a little a little written message on a social media platform right so to change this just seems to be super, super short-sighted. Like, you know, this is a word that's that's been created by a social media platform, this tweet thing in the way, you know, on Instagram, you make a post. On TikTok, you make a post. You know, you don't, I suppose people do say make a TikTok, but nobody says you post an Instagram, do they? It's this whole thing of posting a tweet is such a huge thing and it's just so bizarre that these choices have been made and exactly what Tim said is they haven't been made with it isn't an informed decision is what I'm trying to say there hasn't been all the research that needs to go into this before it happens so even regardless of if I would have seen this and thought this is the best branding ever I think even then we probably would have still be be having the same conversation from a marketing point of view, because anybody can do a rebrand. You don't have to be Twitter. And there's plenty of situations where this 
has gone wrong or, you know, there hasn't really been an ROI. I know you included a couple of examples, Tim. I think that was you who added them in. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see how many places have gone through these rebrands and how many people don't don't call them this. Like I think was wise, transfer wise, right. So that was what I was trying to remember. I remember wise, I did a blog about them and about their marketing. And all their keywords and all their SEO was people searching transfer wise. They weren't searching for wise, they were searching for transfer wise. And it just seemed like a really strange decision to change your name to a word that people are searching a lot yeah. as part of something else. Like that felt like it wasn't necessarily rooted in much research. Um, I don't know if you've encountered any similar situations, Tim. I mean, I think I think there are quite a few. Generally with rebrands, that rebrands come on a scale, don't they? You get rebrands where um, you know, the, the, the business needs a visual refresh and it looks a bit old. It looks a bit tired. You want to bring it up today. You want to sort of, you know, in the way that we've seen say Apple's logo change over the years, or I know Dunkin' Donuts, I think they dropped the donuts. Like these are, these are small tweaks where you can give the brand a new lease of life, but people still recognize it. People still understand what it is. And then I think you've got the sort of questionable value rebrands where, you're changing so much of the brand that actually you potentially lose any brand equity that you've ported over. And I think this would be one of those. I, I'm talking to companies about uh, acquisitions and, and, and buying um, other agencies at the moment. And when you're buying a business, you're basically buying the customers, the staff and the brand. And those are the three things that you're buying. And what I don't understand here is that the brand, the Twitter brand, I don't think anyone would consider it to be damaged. I think it's a valuable brand. It's basically what Elon bought is the brand and the, the position of the thing in society. So to then sort of get rid of that, I don't understand. I mean, there are examples of rebrands. I think, you know, um, Facebook rebranding as Meta, where they kind of had to do it because Facebook was just one of the products and that was a little bit unclear. Overall, though, people still refer to the company as Facebook. Um, there was one uh, Standard Life Aberdeen became Aberdeen, I think. Uh, like basically Aberdeen, but without the, the, the vowels after the initial A. Yeah, A-B-R-D-N, it's spelled. And it's just wild, you know, the, the, the executives have been defending this rebrand for the best part of a year in all the investor calls. Like the amount of effort and energy that goes into defending something like this which on the surface seems totally pointless i'd love to know how they're measuring the success of things i mean there are some rebrands from history like uh, google used to be called backrub well probably a good idea to, to to change that um amazon used to be called Kadabra. again you'd say that's probably okay um although who's to say that those companies wouldn't be so successful today if they were still called those things right but they those were changes made early on before those brands had massive traction so observing branding changes from a from an agency's perspective a lot of the time these things seem to come for for emotional reasons rather than because it's a logical thing to do for the business and the business then um, invest a huge amount of their marketing budget and attention into doing something which is essentially a little bit self-indulgent because either the the customers don't care or the customers find it slightly annoying. So I, I don't I, I don't understand um, the point of this unless and there is a big caveat here unless this is the classic political strategy of dead catting, where uh, you know uh, th there's a narrative that's going on that you don't like. 
you throw a dead cat on the table, all of a sudden, everything else is forgotten. Now let's talk about the dead catting. The timing with the Threads announcement and all hype that Threads was getting, whether this is an attempt to just steal back some of that narrative, all the journalists that were writing about Threads are now talking about the chaos that's ensued since the rebrand. So if if that's the strategic play, then, you know, fair enough, because I'd say that has worked. (laughs) Um, Threads search volume is through the floor. I just did a search on uh, on Google Trends for Threads to see what search volume is looking like. It's only search volume for the word threads is only marginally above what it was before Meta released threads. <laughs> Think about that. There is almost no sort of brand recognition overhang here at all. And whether Elon's sort of desire to retain the limelight is part of that, I don't know. But, you know, I think if it's the dead catting strategy, fair play. Any Anything else is just entertainment the rest of us yeah it's it's very silly and i mean we're kind of seeing the results of the elon takeover like elon has been tweeting you know saying that they're still they've still in negative cash flow they've had a 50 percent around a 50 percent drop in advertising and a lot of debt i don't know why he's being so public about this very strange choice um but i know that he said that like some advertisers have promised to return i don't know how much truth there is in that um, but if you're somebody, just to get away from the branding conversation for a moment, if you are somebody who's previously done all right with Twitter ads, potentially a time we spoke about this before, it's potentially a time for quite cheap Twitter ads. If there's less people there and they're, you know, they're trying to get people onto the platform, you might have the opportunity to get some fairly cheap ads if your audience is over there. But you have also have the potential to be drowned out by people just moaning about the platform. I know RIP Twitter and Twitter is dead were tweet were trending. At the same time, you know, um, and I do think it's it's very interesting. And actually, to go back to Threads as well, um, I've been using the app a bit, and every time I go on it, I get frustrated because most of what I'm seeing is not relevant to me and not people I'm following. And I think once they've worked out those issues, I think it will be a decent, a bit more of a decent app. But right now. No, <laughs> uh, but I think they still released it at an all right time because they've obviously seen that Twitter is kind of on the downfall. And um, yeah, it's just totally, totally wild. Totally. Someone has just wild. commented, like, it's pure crazy. It's like Velcro deciding to change their name. Uh, it's not a bad parallel, is it? Because like you said, tweet is, it's in the public lexicon. Yes. News readers say someone has tweeted. How are you going to change that vocabulary? It's very difficult to do. Yes. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. It's going to be very, like I said, I almost enjoy watching it because we haven't really seen something like this change in this way. So yeah. Yeah. Interested to see what the future holds. Moving on to our next topic, which is all about how Pret-a-Manger has credited their subscription service for its return to profit. And I thought this was a really, I think it's a really important thing to talk about as marketers because we really are seeing a huge increase in the number of businesses that are doing these subscription models, whether it's something like Pret-a-Manger, I can't remember exactly what you get, but it's like the Pret Club and you get, I think it's like up to five hot drinks or coffees a day. So it's actually quite, quite good. Um, but then we're also seeing subscription models, for instance, you get Amazon Prime or the ASOS um, delivery where you're getting that next day delivery. Um, And then we also see subscription models where you might buy a product and then it says if you 
subscribe to it every month, then you'll get a discount. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for marketers here. And I think it's really impressive the Pret of actually accrediting this subscription model with what's helped them return to profit. I think that's amazing. Yeah, a really good find on this, Jess. This is, yeah, it's, it's quite rare to see the metrics behind um, subscription models. And I mean, to be fair, I don't think they have shared a lot of the metrics about it, but the fact that they would openly credit it with their returns of profit, I think is massive. So from what I understand, um, Pret, if, if you don't know, it's like a coffee shop and you can get bits of food as well. And it's like a sort of Starbucks high vibe. I'm sure people who are Pret fans will tell me it's nothing like Starbucks at all. But from an outsider's perspective, it's another one of those. And you pay, when it, when it started, it was $20 a month. I think it's now up to $30 a month. And like you say, you get up to five barista-made hot drinks per day, which if you're actually claiming all of those is phenomenal value. If you were buying them individually yeah. and now you're getting them free as part of the subscription, then they're great value. Obviously, they've looked at how people are using these and they've increased the price over time. Um, and from their internal, uh, from their comms, it doesn't sound like increasing the price from $20 a month to $30 a month has actually had any impact on usage and in fact their revenue from it's grown. The other thing wow. that caught my eye from this is that the value of the transactions through the Pret Club, which is their membership, are 30% higher than average. So people who are using the thing are also then uh, making higher value transactions. I mean, this logically makes sense, right? If you, if you, what they're trying to do is they're trying to build a habit, which is what all of these subscription services are doing. They're trying to build a habit of you always go to Pret. You feel some sort of allegiance to Pret. So you go to prep for your lunch. You, When you're getting a coffee, you're also getting a snack and all this type of stuff. They've got super high margins on their coffee anyway. Um, so, it, you know, it, it makes sense for loads of reasons. But I think this this idea of your subscription members then spend more is really interesting. And this, um, there was some, someone did a study at Motley Fool um, way back in 2014 about Amazon Prime. When Amazon Prime first came out or when Amazon Prime was getting really popular and found or suggested that um, lifetime customer value for a prime customer is more than double what a non-prime customer would be because now this person is sort of wedded to Amazon, they tend to spend more anyway. So I think this is a really interesting component to subscriptions that people don't often think about when they're considering this. They may look at the cost of the subscription on its own and say, oh, you know, they could get five hot drinks a day and what if they actually do, then that's potentially 150 hot drinks I'm giving them for $30. That sounds terrifying. But there are a bunch of sort of additional and related benefits from this, like, oh, well, they're going to be spending more. And oh, well, on average, they're not going to be spending anything like $30 on their drinks. You know, they're not going to be claiming $30 worth of drinks and this type of stuff, which we have to take into consideration when we're planning a subscription model. And it's interesting that very few businesses start subscription models and then stop them. This seems to be something that people continue to do and uh, sort of continue to ramp up. So yes, yeah, it's, it's yet another indication that this is a really important component of um, relevant business models. If you can offer a subscription, you probably should think about it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... Um... We see it everywhere, especially in e-commerce, you know, any kind of products that people are going to want to replenish, whether it's like fuel, protein, shakes, I know they do it. And then there's like small who do um, laundry stuff. And my affinity for them is really good. Like it actually works out cheaper for me. And now they do like 
cleaning supplies and they've just released like um washing up liquid and I'm like well I could get that from the shop probably a little bit cheaper but actually it's so much more convenient especially as someone with ADHD it's so much more convenient to not have to think about any of these things they just get posted through my letterbox and I'm sorted you know and I think um yeah I think if you are thinking of running a subscription model, you really have to highlight the benefits, you know, whether you're getting a discount for getting more products or if you're just highlighting how it makes their lives easier. Because that's kind of how small got me is that they're saying, you know, you don't have to think about this anymore. You just have to pay and we'll send it to you. And it's like my pet food I get on a subscription so that it just arrives to me and I don't have to worry about, you know, going out of my way to go to a specific shop to get that food, you know, because that trip I'll pretty much only go there to do that I use Amazon subscription service but it's nice I don't even have to have Prime to do that so it's like they've almost doubled up over Amazon they've got two different ways to kind of keep you keep you in that loop and I think I've had times where I've had emails you know saying oh something's out of not part of your order and I've gone oh maybe I'll cancel it it's just a bit of a pain and I'm like "Mm, actually it's really convenient so I just keep it and it's just yeah (laughs) I can imagine multiple consumers behave in that way yeah um so it's definitely not not just me and i think it it works for the business for multiple reasons like you say you have that um you know you end up with inventory that you probably wouldn't have bought but hey you're not gonna send it back um the the business has absolutely zero ongoing customer acquisition cost cost right they've for, for D2C businesses, the question of profitability has always been huge. And a lot of these D2C companies are heavily venture-backed. And the question was always, you know, if it's costing you $30 to get someone to buy a $5 razor, how are you going to make the numbers work? Whereas if it costs $30 to get a $5 a month razor subscriber, then the numbers work, right? Uh, yeah. Particularly if that lifetime is is good. And then from a cash flow perspective, you know, this type of thing can work for all sorts of businesses. You see this with even some like independent car um, garages, like they'll charge a a sort of a monthly subscription to a maintenance package. And then, you know, if your car, something happens with your car, then you can go and then you get a discount on, you know, big projects, uh, but you get ongoing sort of maintenance and your regular checkups included as part of that. But the benefit of the business is they have all this cash flow that you know, they've got cash that's come in, which they might not have to fulfill on for six, 12 months even, which means they can reinvest in customer acquisition or whatever they want to do. So I think it makes a lot of sense that businesses are trying to pivot this way. It makes sense for the customer and it makes sense for the business. And it's just a sort of better way of evening out cash flow and potentially lumpy businesses like, well, like pretty much anything um, where you might be seeing a seasonal dip over Christmas, no longer, or you might be seeing a seasonal dip over summer, no longer because everyone's on subscription and it makes the company more um, investable uh, as well. Yeah, this is exactly it. And I think um, I did say earlier that um, this is mostly an e-commerce thing, but that was totally wrong. You do see it a lot in service-based businesses as well. For instance, like you said, with the car thing, we see it quite frequently in, um, like I know, dentistry. They often will have like, oh, if you pay this, you'll get this many checkups and then this much off treatments. And I know um, spec savers yep. as well. Doing with their contact lenses, you get like free glasses, yep. discounts on other stuff. Um, and I mean, they were quite, when I went in there, they were like, yeah, if you want to get your glasses free, just make sure if you pause it that you restart it like the month before and we'll make sure your glasses are free. You know, they were quite open about that. Um, they make it easy to pause it and change it about and stuff. And I think, yeah, I think it's a really, really great model. And like Tim said, if you 
tend to have a slump, this can help you avoid that. Certain parts of the year, people will just leave it rolling. Inconvenient to cancel it. So mm. they might as well just leave it in place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't assume that just because you're not a DC brand, you can't run a subscription. Like the, the, the question, the value is in thinking, how can I use this? So what are these companies doing? How can I apply that to my business? Um, yeah, like you say, I think like aesthetics and beauty and um, yeah, th th there are so many companies that can use this. Um, Jess, you've dug out an AI story. Uh, a good one here. This looks uh, this looks potentially interesting. What's going on with AI this week? So Meta, Google and OpenAI have promised the White House in America that they'll develop AI responsibly. So I think there's definitely been since AI kind of kicked off there's been a lot of conversations about whether it's responsible whether it's ethical all these kind of things um and i think you know the the people at the top have started to pay attention to this and have thought right we need to start maybe putting some regulations in place now this has been voluntary so there's if they break these rules there's no consequences really other than breaking their word and maybe damaging consumer trust um but it seems like, I know Google's been talking a lot about responsible development of AI, like at their IO conference, that was a big topic. Um, and I think you might be thinking like, what's this mean for marketers? But to me, what it means is that if they do develop these AIs more responsibly, it means you yourself are going to be less likely to get in trouble. We've seen people being sued for publishing AI generated content with misinformation in it, or that's been plagiarized. You know, and I think this is kind of a sign that these big players are aware of this and want to make sure that these things aren't happening. Because if you get sued because you used ChatGPT, you're going to be knocking on OpenAI's door to say, excuse me, I used your tool. Now I'm in trouble. What are you going to do about it? Um, so I think hopefully it's going to lead to us feeling a bit safer to use AI in our work and We'll still need to fact check it. We'll still need to make sure everything's good and everything's golden. But I think it means we're less likely to get in trouble, really. Yeah. And and potentially we're talking to an audience that is maybe less skeptical about what they're seeing. I think there's a lot of concern about the US election cycle that's coming up and the amount of AI misinformation that we might be subjected to. If, and it's the world's biggest if, if these pinky promises make any difference at all, um, to things like watermarking and identification of AI-generated content, then we could see a world where people are able to trust what they see on social media, uh, knowing that it hasn't just been generated by uh, Midjourney or, uh, or or Dolly or whatever. Um, I, I mean, I, ha I have to say the the text and reading between the lines on some of these announcements. It, I mean, you don't even need to read between the lines. There's, there's not actually that much there. A lot of this is the AI companies promising the stuff that they kind of already do. So there's a lot of talk. OpenAI has a blog post. The White House has released a fact sheet about it where they're basically talking about, you know, we're going to show the research that's going on about bias and discrimination. We're going to share our thoughts about how the latest models are going to impact society. But if you read any of the research papers that go along with these models, they always share that stuff anyway. Um, so I don't think that there's that yeah. much new here. The most interesting piece for me was... Um, watermarking and this idea that the AI companies would be required to propose some sort of watermarking solution. And ChatGPT or OpenAI have said that they're going to build a tool which allows you to sort of work out whether something has been uh, produced by one of their technologies. 
honestly, I don't know how any of this is going to be possible or even if it's going to be possible. Their own sort of open AI chat GPT detector was saying 40% accurate, 46% accurate, something like that. So worse than guessing. Uh, you know, could you build an AI tool that removed watermarks? I mean, AI is fantastic at spotting patterns. This is exactly the sort of this task that AI would be optimized to do is remove watermarks. And if people, you know, if, if people assume that there's no watermark, then it must be real. Potentially, you know, this is actually going to lead to more mistrust. So I think there's a lot of questions about the execution and the implementation and how effective any of this stuff can be. But I guess it shows the sort of direction that AI companies are hoping we think they're going in, which is that this is all going to be safe and responsible and we're collaborating hand in hand with law enforcement so that they don't regulate us. I mean, so that we produce uh, yes. tools that are safe for everyone. Um, so, but yeah, for, for Marxists, we need this to work really, because otherwise the world is a very untrusting place and uh, we could get in all sorts of trouble for using these tools. Yeah, I think it's important to note as well, just on the um, watermarking point, is that the average everyday person is not going to be able to view that watermark, right? They're not going to know that that's even an option for them. It's just going to be people who know how to access that digital watermark. It's not like a big stamp on the front of the image or on the content saying this was generated by AI. So it just seems like a little bit of a, I don't know, like they're trying to stick a plaster over a burst pipe or something. Yeah, like I'm, it I'm just gonna guess, seem like a, a good solution. <laughs> I suppose if I'm if I'm Twitter or X, for example, I might want to. Well, probably not in, not in their case, but I might want to get access to the open AI watermark detection software so that I could have a little notification any tweets that are using um, using AI generated content. But yeah, I mean it's. It doesn't feel like a robust solution, does it? And it feels like it's subject to the same limitations and opportunities for exploitation that all content is subjected to. This is just another hoop that someone's going to have to build a tool to get past. But hey, the the incentive is there, the potential reward is there. So I, I don't think this is, yeah, it would be very interesting to see if they can produce something. Um, but like. So self-policing never works someone says yeah yeah we're gonna have to see what happens um i think we're gonna keep seeing you know news popping out being like this thing was violated again by this company i think it's gonna it was just gonna become an everyday occurrence at some point yeah anything else you would like to add to this week's news at all tim uh, no i don't think so continued serp volatility yes i know i don't think so and then immediately add something but um continued serp volatility on google so if you're seeing your rankings bounce up and down it's continuing. Um, it's been a few weeks now uh, and we're still seeing massive, massive cert volatility. So whether this is Google continuing to test out a potential big ranking algorithm update or whether it's just the new normal uh, and our search results are going to be dynamic, nobody really knows, but it's, um, it's quite interesting. And if you're seeing your rankings jump around, don't panic too much. Uh, just continue to follow the basics and uh, yeah, everyone's in the same boat. Yes, very good advice. Don't panic. I feel like that's a good way, a good way to end today's podcast. <laughs> As always, um, you can request a marketing review from the wonderful marketing consultants here at Exposure Ninja at ExposureNinja.com slash view. They'll send you a 15 minute video review covering your marketing and your website, offering you some actionable insights that you can put into place 
right away. So that's ExposureNinja.com slash review. We also have a brand new video up on our main YouTube channel at Exposure Ninja, all about a fantastic tool from SEMrush called Ad Clarity, which I think has blown a lot of people's minds, If especially people who are doing, yeah, especially Tim's mind, especially anybody who's doing any competitor ad research running PPC, which should be all of you. Um, so yeah, definitely go and check that out. Yeah, you've got to check it out, guys. It's, it's ridiculous. So this tool basically shows you you know, on Facebook or Meta Ad Library, you can see your competitors' ads and you can see, you know, what ads they've been running over time and stuff. Well, Ad Clarity shows you that plus how much they're spending on each ad. And it also works across display ads, across like TikTok ads as well, uh, YouTube ads. It's really, really wild. The amount of data that you get, like people have been commenting, I can't believe this thing is legal. And that was definitely the impression I got this. It's one of those, every so often you get a tool where you're like, okay, how is this working? I'm not sure. I'm really enjoying this data, but I'm not going to ask any yeah. awkward questions. <laughs> definitely, definitely the best way to be. But yeah, you can check that out over on our YouTube channel. Um, it's definitely a good video. Lots of people seem to be enjoying it. So um, yeah, don't miss it. We will be back next week with another marketing news podcast. So if you're enjoying these, and um, you want to see more of them, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcasts, as well as over on our YouTube channel. So yeah, have a fantastic week and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>